0: So if you could adapt any story into any real story into a movie, what would you do?
1: Oh, I didn't, I didn't prepare for this. I, I, I'm all ready to talk about Mothman and Kumail, but I didn't, (laughs) I didn't Oh, You didn't know
0: there was homework?
1: I didn't. Um, Other than our
0: usual writing homework.
1: Right. Yeah. I wrote two complete scripts. no. (laughs) Uh, what story would you choose?
0: You know, I actually have a document where I save links to old news articles or any news articles that I come across, um, if I think they're interesting or inspirational and not that long ago, uh, an orchestra was basically caused by the pandemic to strand themselves inside of this castle in Europe, I think in Austria, and the castle became surrounded by hungry wolves. So they had to rescue this orchestra from this remote castle where they were surrounded by hungry killer wolves.
1: Whoa, that sounds like... A good story.
0: <laughs> I mean, I leave out the fact that this is a Bolivian pan flute orchestra, so that oh, right. gives it a different flavor than if you're thinking, you know, a classical music orchestra. Um, they they had a special you know, flavor. But, <laughs> um, well, change. but yeah, that's an interesting story to me. Or, ooh, uh, another story I read way, way back that I thought would make a great movie was uh, this tourist, this guy wandered off course into the Amazon jungle, and he got lost. Uh, and he became convinced that, well, he and some of the people. That met him before he became lost, became convinced that spirits had something to do with him being lost in the Amazon, just having those beliefs. And then when he finally was recovered, he claimed that monkeys helped lead him back to the humans, back to people. Wow. There are a lot of amazing (sighs) true stories out there.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I don't know. I could probably find one about like an animal somewhere. (laughs) Like, you know know what I could have picked for this podcast is um, you ever see the ghost in the darkness? No. Oh, that's a great movie. Um, It's about these two hunters who have to come to Africa and hunt these lions down because the lions kill like entire villages of people. And it's based on these two actual lions that just like they got a taste for human blood and they went for it. So,
0: People love stories about animals having an insatiable taste for human blood, just turning that pyramid upside down.
1: Yeah, Jaws was inspired by true events, right? Like in a very loose fashion. So I'd probably pick some kind of killer animal on the hunt story.
0: That makes sense for you. Well, let's do it. Let's start this thing. We are Necromancer! Necromancer. I'm Shira, I'm a rom-com fan. I'm Brett, I'm a horror movie fan. And together, each week, Brett picks a horror movie, I pick a rom-com, and we don't just talk about those movies, we then remix them in the opposite genre. So. We're about to turn this horror movie into a charming, lovable, warm rom-com, and then we are going to take the real-life love story of Camille Nanjiani and his wife, Emily Gordon, and turn it into a terrible, terrible horror. I, I Knowing that this is someone's real-life love story actually makes me feel guilty about turning it into a horror movie. Did you have that emotional <laughs> response or No.
1: No, oh, no, no, I was, I I came up with the premise for the story pretty quick. And it just, I felt no qualms about like, this is based on a real person. I was like, no, this is a horror version of this story. that These are made <laughs> up people and I'm going to kill one of my characters right off the bat.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, I think that's, that's also fair. Um, yeah, I, I really feel like this was an interesting one for us to do based on a true story, because I think both of us are admittedly not into realism, or movies that have any kind of pretense towards realism. And you can see that I really have kind of air quotes around pretense, because I do think that realism is a pretense. I don't actually think that movies are like real life at all and that's the point or if they are it's more true to the experience but but yeah this is the first time i think that we've intentionally sought out movies that sought to depict something close to what really happened
1: i don't know did you do any kind of research into what the mothman story is (laughs)
0: I know that John Klein is an actual reporter and he reports on cryptozoology sightings and and, para- and the paranormal. And I, I know that there are these people out there. I mean, have you ever listened to Coast to Coast on AM radio? Uh, not
1: specifically. I think I've heard clips here and there, but I know yeah, I know what you're talking about. You used to have Art Bell, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So there is a whole subset of people who are really dedicated to this and believe that this is real. Um, I'm sure you saw um, the recently released at the time of this recording, New Unsolved Mysteries, and one of the episodes was about aliens. So there are, you know, things that happen unexplained things that happen in real life that people then fill in the gaps with, um, Mothman prophecies,
1: apparently. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: Give me, give me the 411. What's, what's the real deal with the Mothman?
1: Well, so let me just say this, uh, a while back, probably about four years ago or so, I really got into ancient aliens I mean, really got into it, right? Like, yeah, I Nothing the
0: about this surprises me.
1: Oh, yeah, not at all. But I really got into Ancient Aliens. And I was watching it, like, in a very casual sense. And, uh, first of all, there's, like, nine seasons of Ancient Aliens. I, I just got through the first one. <laughs> so uh, I really got into the first season of that show. And I felt like I was really just getting into it. I was like, this is really crazy. Even if... Like I don't believe in ancient aliens. Like there's just so much weird stuff that's out there that we don't know, and how weird is it that all of this stuff can kind of be explained by aliens? You know what I mean? Like it's I, I I'm I'm a if if we want to start talking ancient civilization conspiracy theories, I could go on all day. But the 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 main point is I'm I'm a f- a fan of theories that have to do with ancient civilizations, but I don't know why it has to always be aliens. Now, having said that I watched the first complete season of ancient aliens. Then I watched this great YouTube documentary that's full of actual sources and they break down the entire first season and pretty much debunk every single thing in that show. Like that show is entirely 100% fiction. And I don't want to ruin the story of Mothman for everyone. But if you kind of do a little bit of research, you can pretty much see that most of this movie is fiction, and that most of Mothman in general is pretty much entirely fiction.
0: So like, would John Klein, the actual John Klein say that well, they took my reporting and they just turned it into crazy stuff, or was he part of the fabulation? Uh,
1: I don't know specifically about him, but I think he fully believes it, so I think he's totally in on it. He's he's he bought it hook, line, and sinker. But I think this is kind well, of I like mean, a... it
0: sells books for him. So <laughs> right. I guess he has to, right? Uh,
1: I think this movie's kind of like a really interesting breakdown of just what if a guy had nothing to do and he got really into this weird thing and then his life was just kind of like shitty and he was having a mental breakdown. So stir of echoes. Yeah, this movie was very stir of echoes, because you oh, have this haunting Kevin- force that
0: helps you at the end. Ooh, but but Richard Gere, I'm sorry, bro. You are not Kevin Bacon. He does not sizzle like the bacon.
1: No, no, not at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, he is, a, he is American gigolo, but uh, he does not have that bacon sizzle.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, Richard Gere. Both of these movies are like fine movies, <laughs> I would say. Mothman Prophecies, what?
0: you think that the big sick is oh, just no, no, no. fine? Sorry,
1: big sick is great. Uh, but I, when I say both, I, I meant Stir of Echoes and Mothman. Prophecies.
0: Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, both of okay. those movies are fine, yeah, yeah, but yeah. fair, fair, fair.
1: Kevin Bacon can turn a fine movie into a good movie. Richard Gere can turn a fine movie into a fine movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So. Yeah. He, I mean, he really did nothing. and, And Laura Linney poor Laura Linney she she really had a thankless task but you know who seemed to have a really great time in this movie the actor who played Gordon
1: yeah uh Will Patton I think
0: yeah Will yeah. Patton he seems like one Oof. of those character actors you see in everything but I I definitely feel for him it was like all right this is my moment I'm gonna play the fuck out of this guy.
1: Yeah, he <laughs> and really
0: lay it on. <laughs> he's
1: almost in a different movie. Um,
0: he's in a different movie. That's why I'm I, I, kind of freaked out by him. Kind of want to watch that movie. Oh yeah, no, okay. I, I I had to look him up during the movie because I I was thinking surely this person has been interesting in more movies than this.
1: Yeah, he got killed by the Punisher
0: i i didn't know that well since we're well, already- he technically he
1: got killed by the by the other is it's a long story but he got killed by the punisher but yeah i think we should get into mothman
0: yeah let's get into mothman and yeah, we'll, yeah. we will delay the big sick uh and then we'll destroy it <laughs> um so mothman prophecies before i go into the movie what made you decide to choose this for the true story theme
1: uh, well, it was either this or The Last Exorcism of Emily Rose. Both movies I saw when they came out. Both movies creeped me out when I first saw them. Uh, and so I've only seen each movie once. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, I probably can fit Exorcism of Emily Rose into way many more categories than I can Mothman Prophecies. Right. Uh, so I I texted you and was like how true does our true stories have to be? And you were like, well, what are you thinking? I was like, Mothman. You're like, all right, yeah, sure. Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said, John Klein's a real person. I actually thought you would choose Amityville Horror.
1: Yeah, I've seen both of them. And they're good. But there's probably a bunch of other podcasts out there about that. Uh, Mothman is my favorite cryptozoid, though. Like, Bigfoot's super popular. Loch Ness. As a kid, I got into all that. And Wait, so, but you
0: just myth busted Mothman for yourself.
1: Oh, it's yeah. Is your favorite? Mothman is the idea.
0: Of right? a Mothman.
1: Right. It's It's the story that evolved from essentially what is probably just an owl <laughs> has turned into this. A whole entire crew of people who are really into it, who really believe it who have a lot more details about it. But it also, like, the fact that this tiny little urban legend got, like, it's not big like Bigfoot, but it got a movie with Richard Gere. I think that's, uh, like, I texted you right after I watched the movie. Like, this is kind of, this is in a weird like the internet was still coming up and no one really knew what the internet was. And this is before creepy pasta and like the invention of slender man. Like this is just kind of that perfect level of urban legend meets creepy pasta. Like it's, it's a completely fictionalized version of a bunch of kind of real things. And it kind of is like the Zodiac or Jack the Ripper where it's, yeah, the closer you get to the truth, the the more it slips through your hands, and it's just like, ah, like why can't we just have a definitive answer? It the Mothman is an owl, right? That's ninety nine point nine percent sure the Mothman is just an owl. Uh, but that point one percent that evolved into this complete mythology of this supernatural being who shows up to kind of warn people about these impending disasters and uh like it's just so fascinating. I thought the discussion would, I, I knew the movie probably wasn't going to hold up that much but I figured the discussion would probably be pretty interesting, so
0: Oh, we'll, we'll definitely <laughs> we'll get into it Um That's interesting, that's your that's your favorite uh, cryptozoid um, I don't know if I have a, have a favorite Cryptozoid. There was a recent sighting of the Loch Ness monster. So Whoa. that's one that, that's uh, pretty appealing. So, uh, all right. Mothman Prophecies. So on their way home from buying a new house, Washington Post reporter John Klein and his wife, played by Deborah Messing, are driving home when she swerves to avoid hitting a dark figure with red eyes.
1: A Mothman.
0: Yes. She we meet the that's why I was was kind of like, huh, because I I knew that John Klein, the actual John Klein, had apparently gone to this town to investigate the Mothman sightings, but I don't know if it's part of his actual story, uh, that um his wife had been moth
1: i don't think he ever had a wife
0: <sighs> yeah no it, it's d- the whole <laughs> There's so that this is just the beginning. Right. Um, Okay. So, so she's hospitalized and then later she dies from a brain tumor. It's unclear though, whether or not the mothman gave her a brain tumor or that was just completely unrelated. And then among her effects, John finds a drawing of the shadowy creature that she saw. Uh, And then two years later, John is traveling in West Virginia and he loses time. And then when he wakes up, he finds himself in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, but he's hundreds of miles away from his original route. He has no idea how he got there. Um, So he stops by a nearby house and asks to use their telephone and the homeowner Gordon pulls a gun on John because he claims that this is the third time John has come to his house asking to use the phone. John does not remember this. And then uh, the local police officer, Connie Mills played by Laura Linney. She shows up and she calms Gordon down. uh, And then she starts to tell John about some of these weird incidents happening around town. So John decides to stay in Point Pleasant uh, and he and Connie start investigating what's going on and people tell them about seeing this moth-like man creature (laughs) with red eyes. And then meanwhile, Gordon appears to be coming becoming more unhinged. But really, this is just part of his acting reel. Um, and then the only one who basically listens to him is John. Uh, Gordon shares that he heard a voice that says 99 in Denver, 9. 9 doctors killed <laughs> you! 9, nine by 9! <laughs> <laughs> Did you also think of fives when he kept saying nine?
1: <laughs> no, but I did in the Big Sick when they played a clip of the movie.
0: Oh, that that excited me. Um, <laughs> but uh, so they get this, they get the drop of prophecy about Denver ninety nine, and then the news later confirms it when a plane crashes in Denver, I'm killing ninety nine people. So and pretty then, much
1: up till this point of the movie. Everything is made up.
0: Oh, so none of that happened in real I don't
1: think, life. I don't think he had a wife. I don't know if Connie was a real person. I think she might have just been a representation of like all of police force. Gordon is not a real person. He's just a, a personified version of an entire town full of vague sightings of something mm-hmm. weird um so yeah it's kind of like in moneyball how jonah hill is really supposed to be three people but instead of writing a script with three jonah hills they just were like eh all those people are just one jonah hill now so it's like yeah but i it's based on a true story
0: yeah no i we're gonna have to talk about connie mills uh when we get to the discussion because i have a lot to say um, but yeah, so Gordon he calls John at night and he tells him that this voice has been talking to him and it's called Ingrid Cold. Uh and you said you heard Ingrid. I have subtitles on and it said Ingrid, but it who knows? Be. This movie this is a movie my dad would hate because everyone is whispering for the whole movie. Oh, does he not like whispers?
1: It, it kind of drives me nuts too. Like, when some movies are just everyone's gotta talk really quietly, isn't
0: like. Well, isn't one of your favorite play? Isn't your one? Or, one of your favorite movies is just like that? A Quiet Place.
1: Oh yeah, but A Quiet Place is super good. <laughs> but that movie, <laughs> the, the, A Quiet Place, is a very cinematic movie. This movie is not as cinematic
0: no the montages when they are investigating the mothman crimes and they keep zooming in on key phrases like mothman red eyes scared (laughs) you know it's just honestly having watched unsolved mysteries recently it reminded me of an unsolved mysteries episode
1: Oh, I didn't, I don't know. I, I didn't even make it through the first episode of that series.
0: I enjoyed it. Um, But in any case, so uh, we learn about Indrid Cold and John talks to Indrid Cold on the phone and is convinced that it's a supernatural being uh, and, John begins also getting messages from Ingrid cold and later Gordon calls again, John goes to check on him, but then Gordon has died of exposure in the woods. So John continues to research the Mothman and he comes in contact with Alexander Leake. I know how much you love an expert when an expert comes in. So we get an expert. Lee talks about his own Mothman experience and basically warns John that whatever the Mothman is telling him about, It's going to be tragic. People are going to die. He's it's called Mothman prophecies because the Mothman gives prophecies. So there you have it. Um, So now John thinks that the prophecy is going to be about an explosion uh, at a plant along the Ohio river. So he tries to stop the governor from going to the plant. Uh, And then John also starts receiving messages from Deborah messing, his dead wife. Uh, And, Things culminate with Connie asking John to come back to Point Pleasant on Christmas Eve. And then while on a bridge over the Ohio River, John realizes that that's where the tragedy is going to happen. The bridge starts to come apart cars start falling into the river including Connie's squad car. John rescues Connie and prevents her from becoming the 27th person killed in the accident because earlier in the movie she herself had a premonition dream where somebody tells her wake up 27 Uh, and so we learned 26 people died. She lived but it it was so dumb. (laughs) I don't know that really that in particular I thought was it, it was just it to use phrases I've used before, it did not work for me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I can see that.
0: You know what else did not work for me now? Now I want to get right into the, the problem with Miss Connie Mills. Officer Mills is this completely out of nowhere romantic plot between her and Richard Gere. Like they almost kiss several times and then there's a moment where they have a long hug and then of course there's the end when he goes into the water to save her but it's like they hinted at them being in kind of an intimate situation but they never followed through with it and it just was really weird and it would have made more sense for them to not have any romantic plot at all. And just keep it about the mystery. I guess
1: I didn't know specifically if what they were going for was a romantic subplot. Or if they were just going for a sort of these are two attractive actor types who are in an intense situation together. And so there's just going to be some natural kind of... "Quote unquote chemistry," because like, I got, I took her phone call at the end is sort of like, "Hey, you seem like a really, really, really depressed guy who shouldn't be alone on one of the highest suicide days of the year." And so it's kind of like, come back and just be around people. And I didn't, I didn't quite take it as romantic, but it also kind of just seems like I just don't know. Maybe this that maybe this movie was just not good at communicating it.
0: Right. No, they, they teased it a few times. They teased it multiple times, including when they hug and it's kind of long. Um, also when he's wigging out and he gets really in her face and they start whisper talking and it has less to do with him being distressed. And it's, it's more intimate than that. Um, it's I don't weird. know. It just, it, it didn't need to happen. And, you know, as a romance fan, I really strongly believe that if you're writing a different kind of movie, then you really need to think about why the movie needs a romance. Like, it, does anything about the movie change if you subtract the romance? Mothman Prophecy, nothing changes. Uh, another counter example is oceans 11 when you remove the romantic plot with Julia Roberts the whole plot falls apart because it you know it hinges on this whole thing where it's really about getting Danny ocean's wife back um so some movies really depend on a romantic plot and can be a different kind of movie and it works but this isn't a movie where romance was essential to the plot it just that makes me mad when I see it in a different genre. It's
1: kind of just screenwriting 101 basic stuff, right? Like, oh, put a romantic interest in there for the main character. Bada bing, bada boom. Done.
0: But I just don't understand why, why put in a romantic interest if it just doesn't add anything to the story except extra minutes?
1: Because... Producers like giving notes. <laughs> Maybe. I don't
0: sometimes know. those notes are good because, are. because in Galaxy Quest, the whole Liliani romance with the girl alien and monk uh, came from a production note and it really worked in the movie's favor. Um, but here it just makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, and then also just the idea that he already had experience with the Mothman, like he had a Mothman origin story.
1: Yeah. Uh, you you're talking about the wife.
0: Yes. It's it's kind of you know how Batman's parents, you know, in the right. Batman movie when they make the Joker kill Batman's parents, it's it's kind yeah. of like that. Um, they had to, they had to get him already on a revenge mission against the Mothman. Um, but yeah, the Mothman captain hooked him. (laughs) He's been hearing it ticking ever since. They fridge
1: the wife, right? Like, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know what comic book it's from, but fridging is a comic book term for when you just kill the woman in the story to make that a part of the male character moving forward. Uh, I know Deadpool two did it kind of famously, but uh, yeah, they just, they give him a wife so that they can kill her and then they can make him a mopey sad guy who drives around and gets lost. Yeah.
0: makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that, that, that does make sense, but I mean, you could just make him divorced. Yeah. You don't have to kill Deborah Messing. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know why
1: you need her in the first place. <laughs> no offense, Deborah Messing, but
0: what did you think of the character of the Mothman, Ingrid Cold? Oh
1: my God! Uh, when I saw this movie for the very first time, I didn't see like I didn't know what was happening in that scene with the phone call, and I th- I thought this was based on a true story. So. I mean, you know that things aren't going to be, like, 100% real, but I thought, you know, as a dumb kid, holy shit, this is, like, real stuff. So when he starts talking to him, the 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 one moment of this movie that always sends shivers down my spine and is the one reason why I remember this movie from years and years and years ago after seeing it only once is the line, the line reading of Indrid Cole going... chapstick like it's always there's (laughs) something about it that's so perfect whoever did the line reading for that was like they deserve if they could just give out oscars for one line performances like chapstick ah so I don't creepy. Know, that,
0: when he said chapstick that that didn't get me it was more the other things he said like the way he answered questions in a real smarmy sultry way like when uh, richard Gere asks are you reading my mind and then injured cold says i don't need to do i
1: yeah that was pretty cool <laughs> uh- uh,
0: or uh what do you look like it depends who's looking
1: that was really cool. That was really cool. Uh, I don't know. I feel like this movie, half of this movie is like, what if David Fincher directed this movie instead? Right? Because you have a character like Zodiac or maybe kind of like a um, uh, social network where like these characters have this obsession and this drive and they're compelled to do things and they make these, these strong decisions that sort of, ruin their life, but it expands their careers. And that's extremely interesting, but this movie is n- not a David Fincher movie <laughs> uh, by no. any means. And I'm not a huge David Fincher fan, uh, like Seven and what, what's one of the other? Oh, Fight Club, like I, I'm not into Seven or Fight Club, but I think Social Network and Zodiac are amazing. Uh, But then the other half of me is like, what if Sam Raimi got a hold of this movie and we could have some really creepy but wacky fun? Like, what if this movie was drag me to hell? But instead of an unknown demon, it was Mothman. And what if instead of like this weird, creepy story, it was just this crazy balls to the wall, Sam Raimi sort of apocalyptic vision's got to change the future mystery. Like I think this movie kind of toes that line between it wants to be an A thriller and a B horror. And the end result is just kind of like a made for TV kind of dreamy atmospheric,
0: Yeah, I feel like the musical cues in this movie were all over the place. Like, I feel like you shouldn't notice the background music. And I was noticing it at points when I thought they were trying to be real edgy with the way that they were kind of following uh, Richard Gere investigating. Uh, it, It wasn't quite, you know, Soderbergh oceans music it was more like sushi restaurant chill hip-hop beats
1: yeah i don't don't chill hip-hop
0: beats to study and relax to
1: (laughs) yeah i I have that i have those recommendations popping up on youtube all the time lo-fi chill wave
0: <laughs> right. I, yeah, I, I don't think they they knew exactly what they were going for. They were I, ahead I I think from what you've described, not not to dog on David Fincher, but I'd rather watch the Sam Raimi version where it's kind of like um waiting for Guffman meets horror where there's all these quirky townspeople who've had weird experiences with the mothman right <laughs> where does it all lead
1: oh yeah that would be great too that should be that should be a movie that exists it's like a bigfoot mockumentary i'm sure there's got to be something out there like it but yeah, I don't. I yeah, don't know. somebody
0: need, somebody needs to get Christopher Guest on it, right?
1: I would I would pledge a few dollars to that Kickstarter. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think this movie it's kind of strange because it goes really by the books, you know, play it by numbers, really safe. Like I said, kind of like TV. It, it feels kind of TV at some points, but then sometimes it just feels really experimental and, like, avant-garde. And, like, there's just these, like, atmospheric shots of, like, a fountain with water dripping. And then it cuts to, like, water falling off a leaf. And then it cuts to, I don't know, like, Mothman eyes or something. And there's a lot of, like, red, double red things in frame glowing. And it's just, like, it's so... It's so bizarre. But it's not... I don't know. It's not calibrated to really get my creep on, but I can see why this movie has a really not big cult following, but I can see why this movie has a lot of eight and nine reviews on IMDb. Cause really a lot of quote unquote, normal people out there. And I don't try to mean this in like a bad or condescending way, but a lot of people who just watch movies to have fun, enjoy them and just watch a movie and don't dissect every little thing about it. Like this movie is just a weird, creepy movie, and it's a movie about a Mothman, so it should be weird and creepy. So I think, I don't know, like. I think they made a really interesting movie, but I also kind of want to see like any of the other versions that exist. Like I, I'm really into that yeah. urban legend evolution of a story, creepy pasta. How does a how does a piece of fiction? take on its own how does it gain its own persona because mothman evolved into mothman through nothing but like gossip and i think that's super interesting
0: I, i mean i do agree that that stuff is interesting but for me this movie did not interest me this this did not make me curious about the the real Mothman. I'm trying to think of other movies I've seen that are based on urban legends and whether or not they made me interested to learn about the actual things or places. Uh, and I can't think of anything really like that. that the Okay, yeah. I, actually, that's true, because The Conjuring apparently this dad built a bunk bed for his kids and it according to the the pot, the lore the bed was made from the wood of a tree that they later learned this woman was hung by and then they had the spooky you know incidents happen with the girl so it's a little it's a, it's a little different from the conjuring where the tree was still intact it was the farmhouse right. that was being haunted um, it did come from sort of these this actual uh, story i feel like um, uh, I definitely looked up the uh, Winchester Mansion, but I never saw that oh, movie. Yeah.
1: I heard, yeah, I heard mixed things about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I guess just kind of like, I I totally would agree with anyone who says this movie is fine, um, but I think it's it's just interesting enough, like it's a product of its time enough, where it's it's kind of like a time capsule of, movie based urban legends uh and it it really got me into the mothman story but you know uh yeah i could totally see how it might not have done it for you um
0: yeah not just not not this one um yeah, no, it just didn't really capture it for me the way um, you mentioned, for example, uh, Zodiac. Uh, I think that movie is really great and definitely right. stimulates some interest in the case. It also has an amazing soundtrack.
1: It's a it's a really good movie.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, it's really good. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but like, I, I like the, the crazy thing about Zodiac is more about that theme of obsession where right. I feel like if if Mothman was more of that meta movie about the drive and obsession, it would be better. Or if it leaned way more into the the urban legend aspect and made Mothman more of an actual character in the movie, that would have been pretty cool. But
0: I want to watch both versions.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think also, I mean, I was dumb when I was a kid. Like I said, this is based on a true story. I knew that, it, you know, like I said, I knew it couldn't be 100% true, but I remember watching commercials or, or TV stuff for the Blair Witch Project, and they had an entire uh, – TV channel like not I don't know the the channel but like a sci-fi channel horror channel something they had an entire feature on the Blair Witch and how the Blair Witch is real and all this stuff so when I saw the movie man I thought like all that was real and so it really got me into Blair Witch and then I was like oh yeah it's like a movie and it's fake and stuff but this is the same kind of thing where I went into this movie thinking holy crap all of this is real and then I read the story, like the real story behind it. And as I stayed reading the story behind Mothman, check every couple years, Google Mothman, see what's up going up with my Mothman boy. Like, you know, I was like, all right, yeah. So the movie is pretty much bullshit, but I really got into the story, you know, like the the idea of Mothman was super cool. And it's like I said, it's just vague enough. So it's not, it's not fully formed like Bigfoot, but it's not, it's not totally made up like uh, like Bloody Mary or something.
0: I see the appeal. I see the appeal.
1: Yeah. So uh, I think I know who your crush is in this movie.
0: Guess, because I actually think you might guess wrong. Well, I, w- I would say Will
1: Patton, but I also kind of think based on your thing that you might say
0: Laura Linney,
1: but I want to say Will Patton.
0: So not Will Patton and not Laura Linney, although I appreciate both of them. I actually am going to say Ed Fleischman, a.k.a. Steve, Miranda's boyfriend from Sex in the City. He was (laughs) Mm -hmm. Brett's face is just taken aback. Uh, just completely surprised by this this uh, curveball I just threw. But yeah. anyways, Ed uh, Fleischman, aka Steve Miranda's boyfriend from Sex in the City, I just think he's real cute, uh, and I I have no other reason than superficially appreciating him and being like, ooh, he's here. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, he is in the movie. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, if I had to go with someone, I definitely would say Will Patton is like,
0: not heart- the expert. Uh,
1: well, okay, so here's the thing. I would say Will Patton is like marriage material crush level stuff. But if the expert came along, that would be like a real <laughs> strong, like, oh, shit, I'm about to have an affair with this expert guy because I I one one thing I like maybe even more than a than a crazy Loomis expert is a reluctant Loomis expert. Someone who's like who's trying to warn you by telling you I know the story and it's so troubling for me to even bring up or it's so scary for me to even bring up that I'm just gonna tell you right now, just drop it. And that's super scary because then when Richard Gere finally shows up and says like, Hey, for the second time. And he says, Hey, I need to know. He's like, all right, I'll tell you. And that's a big moment. Cause you're like, Oh shit. He doesn't want to talk about it, but he can see the anguish in Richard Gere's face. And he's like, I know what you're going through and I'm going to help you. And it's like, that's the kind of expert I want on my side.
0: (laughs) I think that makes sense. That completely makes sense for you.
1: Yeah, but uh Will Patton, whoo, he's in a he's in a good movie in this one.
0: Yeah, he's in a good movie. Everybody else is in an okay movie.
1: Right. Well, I do think Laura Linney gives some good performance too. She does have yeah, a mostly bleak role. but when she's when Richard Gere shows her the picture of the wife and says like, "Is this her?" and she's like, "You know she wants to say yes, but she's like, if I say yes, this guy's going to have a complete breakdown." And then later, when he says like you did call right, and she's like, "Yes, like ooh, did she call or was that
0: ooh. was that Mothman?" <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I mean, uh, I I made Connie the main character of my remake, so I do agree with you there.
1: Gotcha. She's
0: she's got heroin potential written all over her.
1: Yeah, and if you are seeing way too many sightings of Mothman, maybe there's another heroin situation going on. Mm. I don't think heroin's a psychedelic, though.
0: Uh, No. (laughs) No, I don't think so either. But who knows? I mean, it could be cut with anything.
1: So, do you want to get into your...
0: Sure, I'll I'll Your go date first. With Mothman. My da- Yeah, you guessed correctly because not only is Connie the heroine, but Mothman's the hero. <laughs> you know how much I love a good interspecies romance.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> no, no, I-
0: not not I make that sound like no, not not the bad kind. I mean between aliens and mythical beings that are humanoid. I think Um,
1: this probably isn't the first time it's come up either in one of the movies or in one of our remakes.
0: Well, right. I, I had a half man, half snake love interest. Um, one of my remakes, uh, the character felt disturbed, the stir of echoes remake, Jake fell in love with a ghost. Um, also, um, pig demon. There was the pig demon romance. Um, So, yeah, I I feel like we can go beyond just the human-to-human romances. Um, I also like Supernatural being romances, but like many people, I think vampires and werewolves are so played out. Why not Mothman? Yeah. So I called this movie The Stars Don't Give a Damn. Uh, and I, will find some way to work it in, but I just thought that was a cute name. Uh, so Connie Mills is a local police officer in Point Pleasant, Virginia, West Virginia, and she's well-liked by the community. She enjoys her job, but she refuses to get set up on dates or accept invitations from men in the community. Nobody gets why. uh, it's business as usual in Point Pleasant, uh, until late one night, A local resident slash crackpot Gordon sees a UFO appear to fall from the sky. So he goes to investigate the crash site and is swallowed by a blue light. Uh, The next day, Connie is called to Gordon's house by some neighbors and witnesses Gordon and his wife having passionate sex on their front lawn. The neighbors tell (laughs) the neighbors tell her that they've been like that for hours. Connie breaks them up and arrests them for public indecency. And then the whole way to jail, Gordon and his wife are babbling about how Mr. Cold showed them their heart's desires and they became free. Uh, so, this is the first in a bizarre series of what I'm calling sexually liberating incidents by people in town.
1: <laughs> From
0: coming out of the closet to revealing all sorts of other sexual preferences and desires. The town just seems to go crazy one by one, and Connie is trying to get to the bottom of it. Uh, And then to make matters worse, uh, the bizarre happenings have drawn in John Klein, a paranormal reporter, uh, to the town to investigate. And in this version, John is kind of sleazy and annoying, And he tries to flirt with Connie, but she's just not falling for his bullshit. So Connie goes to investigate the crash site, uh, and she follows a trail of popsicle sticks to a clearing. We'll say that the alien kind of – so I thought of my remake as Sexy E.T., so I thought instead of liking Reese's pieces, maybe the alien because he comes from a cold ice planet, really likes uh, popsicles. Okay. So he uh, she follows the popsicle sticks uh, mm-hmm. and then she comes face to face with a big blue humanoid alien, like Dr. Manhattan, but hotter. Um, and the alien turns to face Connie and just like Dr. Manhattan, he's completely naked. Uh, Connie screams, the alien communicates with her telepathically telling her not to be afraid. Uh, and then Connie asks if he can hear her thoughts and the alien communicates. I don't have to, (laughs) you know, (laughs) using some of his lines. Um, so they shake hands And when they do, she has an instant flash in her brain of her deepest fantasy and is shocked to discover it involves the alien. So she's shocked. She's turned on. He's a hot alien. Um, And then she asks him who or what he is. And he tells her that his name is Indrid Cold. And he basically just needs to fix his ship. And then he'll get off the planet and leave. Uh, And she asked him about what's going on with all the people in town. And he explains that in his culture, they essentially um, are sexually free with each other. Uh, And he said, I just wanted to help them see what they want and what they could have. Uh, But Connie tells him that he has to stop doing it and she starts to explain what human society is like. So you get kind of the humor out of this fish out of water scenario where he doesn't understand anything about human culture. Uh, But then they have to run away from John Klein because he's also trying to find the alien. So Connie brings Indrid back to her place. Uh, and he uses it as a hideout as he's repairing his ship, and then they, you know, tell each other about their worlds and all this stuff, and they're growing to love each other and fall for each other. Um, maybe even though uh, injured, Cold comes from a free love society, he doesn't understand what love is mm. and what it means to love a single person, uh, and and maybe they have a discussion where he's like, well, if you love one person, does that mean you only sleep with them? And she could be like, no, there's all sorts of, you know, arrangements. Uh, and, you know, it starts to get his wheels spinning. Like, what does it mean to be intimate in that way with a person? So they're starting to follow.
1: Not that. only what does it mean to really love someone, but what does it mean to be loved back?
0: Right, because Ooh. he's... He's, he hasn't experienced that kind of uh, affection. Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, John is still looking for the alien. Uh, and eventually he discovers that uh, they're shacking up and makes a deal with the government to apprehend the alien. Um, so we'll say at the point in the plot where <laughs> Connie and Indrid are ready to have sex, The next day the feds come and take him away because, you know, you have to have, you know, the sort of romantic turning point follow a dramatic. It's just its formula. Um, And so they take him away. And now we have to have an E.T. style rescue mission where Connie, with the help of the, as I'm calling them, sexually liberated townspeople. (laughs) manage to uh, spring Indrid free, and then they race to his repaired ship to send him home, E.T. style. They make it just in time, and then Indrid offers to take Connie with him, and she accepts. Whoa! And they, they fly off into the night sky together, leaving behind a town of happy people who understand what they want and aren't ashamed of it
1: very nice um so you usually criticize my movies (laughs) for having weird things uh does this movie have a mothman in it
0: oh well uh i i'm sorry i turned him from a mothman into a sexy blue alien with um telepathic sex magic (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna have to give you a hard pass on this one. The whole point of the Mothman was to have the Mothman.
0: Well, okay. So if instead of a sexy blue alien, he is the Mothman, but he has all the same powers that I described, meaning that he, instead of telling people prophecies, he helps them realize their truest self.
1: But he looks like a Mothman or a blue guy?
0: No, he looks like a mothman, and he comes from a planet of mothman people who I, have free, who who don't who.
1: I'm back on. Board. Who are
0: sexually liberated? Sexually liberated, <laughs> sexually liberated moth people from a moth people planet. It's like it's like he
1: promised to give me frosted flakes, and then he gave me a bowl of special K. You know what I mean?
0: I said you, you, you I'm promised me a, a mothman,
1: r- and you gave me a Doctor Manhattan.
0: No, no, no! I'm more of a raisin brand crunch. You know, oh, we've got no. some honey clusters. Um, fine, okay. Just imagine then, instead of the hot blue Doctor Manhattan alien, that it's it's Mothman. But but hot Mothman.
1: All right, let me take that a step further. And <laughs> my script, okay, you're gonna continue. you're gonna get. I, I really don't even need to give you the full pitch because my title is going to basically be the best part about my, my pitch.
0: Okay. Let's hear it.
1: My dinner with Mothman. (laughs) (laughs) So much like my dinner with Andre, this movie is basically going to be two people in a restaurant talking. So it's kind of like a Richard Linklater, you know, after sunset beyond uh, before sunset, whatever it's, it's just like a two-people-talking movie. and
0: Mothman fit his wings inside of a dinner booth?
1: That's a good uh, One, that's a good question. Two, uh, just wait for it. And three, uh, I imagine them more at a table and not a, a booth. Um, so the movie, obviously, we're not going to start right at the uh the dinner. We're going to give you a little bit of like a 15-20 minute sort of introduction into the character and whatnot. Let's just say that our movie starts with a guy, we'll call him Brett, and this guy is obsessed with conspiracy theories and it's getting in the way of his regular life cuz everyone thinks he's crazy, right? But then one day on his dating app, he gets a message from Mothman.
0: Are you serious? So he got to swipe on mothman. <laughs> yeah,
1: he got to swipe on Mothman.
0: And the thing and it is Anyone's a match? Yes. The the
1: thing is uh no Mothman hit him up for a date. Mothman initiated this stuff. Ooh. The thing is in in the in the Mothman prophecies, the crazy expert guy says, right? He says, "Now that you've seen them, they're paying attention to you." So he's kind of alluding to this fact that Mothman is kind of out there all the time. And that anyone can can research him and look at him, but no one does because it's just a crazy Mothman. But now that Richard Gere, this respected journalist, is looking into it, it's like Mothman is looking back at him. So this idea that this conspiracy theory character is looking for the truth and sort of finds the truth, and then the truth finds him. So he goes to the restaurant, and what does he see? He sees a mothman just sitting at the table chilling. And I'm talking like a full-blown <laughs> mothman. So I'm talking, what I'm thinking. With furry
0: what I'm thinking, antenna?
1: Yes. What I'm picturing is kind of like, you know, the tick Arthur and the tick Patrick Warburton mm-hmm. and whatnot. How like, it's like, like animal kind of people, but they have human faces. I'm thinking something like that, where we have like a Tilda Swinton type who's playing a very androgynous person like she does in Constantine where she plays Gabriel, but it's like a very androgynous angel sexless kind of being, but like very alluring. So I'm picturing Tilda Swinton in like a Mothman suit.
0: (laughs) So you're saying that this is kind of like um, Mothman prophecies meets Wilfred.
1: Yes, exactly. And the thing is, everyone else in the restaurant, what does Mothman look like? Mothman looks like whatever you want to see. So everyone else in the restaurant just sees some really blank, nondescript person. But our hero, Brett, who's going on a date with Mothman, sees Mothman. So (gasps) the story basically becomes my dinner with Andre. They just start telling stories and they have really silly moments, but really heartfelt moments. And they talk about metaphysical stuff and spiritual stuff. And it's like this really interesting conversation between a human and like a fifth dimensional kind of spirit being. And then at the end, and then one thing is though, one rule is that you can't touch Mothman right? Because Mothman is like an interdimensional type being.
0: Oh no. So if he touches Mothman, like for a kiss, he'll disappear.
1: Something along that line of like, either he'll go through him like a ghost or something bad will happen. Or basically we set up the fact that no touching, right? So the whole time Mothman, maybe the waiter's coming over and like, Hey, do you want any food? Madam. And Mothman is like, no, I'm okay. And like coming up with, so we can have different little gags, comic relief gags, stuff like that. Aww. Um, So Mothman doesn't really interact with anything around him. He's just interacting with Brett and they're having these really philosophical, crazy, but also funny and like very big, sick sort of yes. Andy new wave comedy kind of like, you know, instead of going, instead of swerving left, we go right, but then we really go down the right path and like, hit every little bump in the road and then at the end of the movie they leave the restaurant and it's like this really bittersweet ending because mothman's like well i can't really like date you date you like we can't go steady this is kind of just like a one night thing you know like i can't you know it's not gonna work out you know like you know i'm a fifth dimensional (laughs) being. you live in the fourth dimension it's gonna it's it's not pretty right but you know, the character Brett expresses, like, I I just really wish that we had, like, I I had a very special connection with you, Mothman. I I just wish that, you know, I could have something physical to remember you by, some sort of feeling. And so then at the end, they lean in, and we get, like, this really creepy, like, when we cut to a close-up, maybe we can use this gag a few times, where if we cut to, like, a really close close close-up, Mothman looks like a a really disgusting like you know in ren and stimpy when they cut to those super close-ups and it's like the art style changes and it becomes really gross like yeah
0: no i know exactly what you mean
1: like we cut to ren and stimpy gross mothman and then that mothman leans in and then mothman and brett just totally make out
0: wait so mothman didn't disappear when they touched They,
1: they spare they they share a special kiss and then, like maybe as they're making out, Mothman disappears because he's like, "Oh, uh, uh, my spar- my particles are falling apart due to due to uh, our tachyons coming in contact and yeah, you know, some some BS ectoplasm, whatever." Uh, but like the ending of the movie is just you know Brett walking away from the date, going like, "Wow, that's really crazy, but also <laughs> really cool." So basically my whole concept is just my dinner with Andre only.
0: We got a mothman in there. Did they make out at the end of my dinner at Andre with Andre?
1: it's I've only seen it once and it's been a while, but I'm going to say no. I'm so there was st-
0: no tongue in that movie.
1: I don't. I think they just play platonic friends. Ah. Uh, yeah. I think there's no kissing in that movie.
0: Well, I mean, I think more people would have watched it if they kissed at the end.
1: Probably, and <laughs> if it had more insectoid, humanoid, spirit monsters,
0: I think that that would do a lot. That would do a lot to to change things. All right. So, should we get into the big sick?
1: Yes, I would love to. Uh, had you Let's seen this do movie it.
0: before? no i hadn't and i hadn't watched it because i have this weird thing where if a lot of people or media tells me to watch a movie i resist it really hard and so the fact that uh this was didn't this movie get awards or it got considered it it, you know it, it it really it really came up there, and I, I I, don't know, maybe I just felt a little bit bitter about the fact that it was like, why this rom-com, and why now, and why does a rom-com have to be based on a real story to be considered... Um, worthy of recognition, but I actually think having seen the movie that it it's a lot more than that. And, and I don't regret at all the fact that this movie got a lot of buzz because I think it means that people start to see the value of this genre and what it means to tell the story of relationships with people and how that can be just as compelling as a fictional mothman that (laughs) gives prophecies. Uh, And and I think, you know, what else made me want to watch this movie is I follow Kumail Nanjiani and his wife, Emily Gordon, on Instagram, and they are such genuinely sweet, affectionate, nerdy, and I really think that their romance, their relationship is worthy of celebration and is is does have enough story to make it a compelling movie and and I I think they did a really sweet job.
1: Yeah, uh I agree with everything that you said. I was a little I also was a little skeptical going into this movie. But I did listen to the Indoor Kids, which was their podcast together where they talked about video games. And so I was like, "Uh, yeah, Camille's a funny guy. Uh, I'm going to I'm definitely going to go in hoping that this is really good. Uh, But the fact that like everyone liked it, I was like, "Ooh, I don't know if that's good or bad. Like, I don't know what to make of that.
0: Yeah, that I, I feel like if I hear a movie is divisive, that makes me much more curious about it than if it's a movie that everybody loves and tells you you should see. Then I'm like, oh, I shouldn't. I, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait five yeah. years later. <laughs> uh, um,
1: and also, Kumail has a... like. I I don't, I don't know the right word for it, but he's got like a unique enough style. He's got,
0: he's, he's got
1: a lot of personality, right? And
0: he does. And he doesn't fit, you know, I love discussing hero archetypes. He does not fit the classic hero archetypes. He's not an alpha hero. He's definitely not a beta hero. He's not particularly nice, that's not his defining quality either. And also he's not cool. He's admittedly not cool. he, he makes that kind of part of his his whole thing. Uh, but he he's relaxed about it. he's unashamed, he's funny, he's really charming uh, and and yeah, I, I can't put him in the typical rom-com boxes that you would would put uh, someone in and maybe that's because he's playing himself and he doesn't actually fit in one box. He's a unique person. Um, uh, yeah. but, but I, was, uh, I was
1: glad to see, cause I, I guess I was a little afraid that he would kind of be more watered down and like trying to play a more stereotypical rom-com part. But I think this is one of those, few, one of those few good movies that shows you like, no, if you lean into what you are, then more people are going to like it. Cause it's actually more relatable.
0: Yeah, and I also just, I think he kind of has this not, it's not weird, but he's just really charming and in a way that's funny and sexy. Like the way that he romances her and the way that he's casual and cool about sex, about intimacy, about how far they take the relationship. When she is just ready to, you know, give up on him completely, and he's just says that's okay. And um, oh, there's there's so much to talk about. I'll let me get. I'll, I'll let you get into the summary of the movie, and we'll go on.
1: All right. Yeah. Feel free to to chime in at any point because there's a lot of just great little details or jokes that I yes. can't fit in. Uh, but basically, we start with Kumail in Chicago. He's a uh, stand-up comedian, and he's all right at it, right? But he's he also does Uber because he's a stand-up comedian, so he's got to get his money somehow. And um, yeah, we've just got a bunch of stuff where his parents, we 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 meet his parents and his family, and we get the idea that I mean, it's not an idea, but we get the the scene of him basically going on these audition dinner dates with these prospective wife
0: clients people From his perspective he's just going home to have weekly dinners with his family because he wants to see his family and then his mom is ambushing him with marriage candidates that are just stopping by
1: right they just dropped in um so it's kind of like Uh, it's it's kind of silly and it makes fun of the arranged marriage in a in a very obviously like you know this movie is for mostly an american audience and to us arranged marriage is not the normal way of doing things but it also i don't know they do a really good job of setting it up so that you know tradition and family and Tradition! It's it's really good. But um, after a show one night, Kumail starts getting it on, sort of flirting with Emily, who is a white lady, and they begin a relationship. And it's very cute how they kind of are like, we're not really looking for anything serious, but then they kind of keep meeting up, and then it does turn into something serious, and then they're super cute together. And unfortunately... Uh she finds his cigar box full of Indian women, well, Pakistani women headshots, and she kind of confronts him about it. And on the one hand, who, boy, is she
0: overreacting? But on the other hand, no, she's totally right. They're in love at this point. Things have gotten real. And she doesn't even know that his parents don't know about her. Right. So, I mean, on the one
1: hand, I feel like just the pacing of the movie and everything, like it, I don't know. It's this is just again getting into like super critical movie sets that, or movie whatever stuff. It's like it moves maybe a tiny bit too fast to the point where when she bursts out at him, I'm like, ooh, little bit overreacting. Like let like just have a conversation about it. But they have a very articulate yelling match, and it's true that she like basically what this means she's expressing is- herself. Yeah, that was very funny. Uh, But basically what this means is, is that if he continues to see her, he has to give up his entire family. And so like that is, you know, like even though they're in love, she doesn't want to be responsible for, you know, breaking him up with his entire family. So she is also like, no, this is a really shitty thing to put me in and you probably should have let me know a little bit earlier instead of hiding it from me. So totally warranted how she Mm -hmm. yells at him. Completely warranted. Uh, Oh, boy. Uh, Things get rough from here because then Emily is hospitalized with a very serious lung condition, uh, a lung infection. And then she has to be placed in an immediate induced coma. And we have the very cool, interesting, good scene where the doctor is like, you're the husband, right? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If you don't sign, she will die. And so he signs for her to be put in the coma, calls her parents, Beth and Terry played by Holly Hunter. What? And Ray Romano. What? Chef's kiss. Ah, so both of these actors are freaking great in this movie. Um, And so they are actually aware of Emily's messy breakup with Kumail. And so at first they kind of push him away and say, Hey, we got it from here. But Kumail, you know, it's kind of hard and difficult to just say, like, hey, this person that I cared about and that didn't really leave on good terms is now in a coma and might die. And her parents are here in a strange city that they don't know and everything. So uh, I kind of just feel like I should be there. And so Kumail starts hanging around the hospital more. And over the course of, being in the same kind of waiting room space, they start to open up to him. Terry's more opening at first, but they start to open up to him. And, you know, he learns a little bit about them. They learn a little bit about him. Uh, nice little scene where they go to one of his comedy shows. And there's a racist frat douchebag in there. And at first Holly Hunter's very cold and harsh and standoffish to Camille, but Holy smokes. Then we get to see Holly Hunter go into firecracker mode and who boy, she's a tiger. She is great in this movie. <laughs> um, yeah. When she just like lunges at him and has to be dragged out of the comedy uh, club, it's, oh, it's so great. Um, But yeah, then we have that scene of them drunk and Terry's passed out on the couch and just this very good heartwarming scene about love and relationships. And it's a very well written movie, very well acted movie. Um,
0: Oh, I wrote in my notes, Holly Hunter is a treasure.
1: Oh, Completely. Um, And so then we get more into the Emily medical stuff where we're learning more about her condition, which is basically that she had to have this surgery. She had this infection removed, but the infection spread to the kidneys. And then there's a whole host of other issues. And then Kumail kind of gives a little hint that she sprained her ankle a few days ago, and that'll come into play later. But essentially, Beth, wants to put Emily into a better hospital. Kumail and Terry disagree, but there's a big argument between Beth and Terry, and Terry has to stay at Kumail's apartment, sleeping on one of the air mattresses. And then it's revealed that Terry cheated on Beth and that he regrets it. So again, another like gut-wrenching, heartwarming kind of moment where this guy admits his dumb mistake that he knew was dumb, but Kumail has to like bond with him over this. But also he has to tell him no, dude, your wife might be mad at you, but she loves you because we saw that when she was te- when yeah. he was passed out on the couch. So again, very good movie. This movie is really oh, good. I like.
0: I'll let you continue, but I I also like the way that resolves later in the movie too. Uh,
1: when she gets when she goes to him in bed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and it's a very quiet moment where she says, "like." can I be with you? And he says, yeah. And she's like, I want to go home. He says, me too. Very quiet, very subtle. Like, you know, if this movie is loud and silly and kind of, I don't know, like verbose, but it's, you know, it's, it's comedy and witty and, you know, we got some backstage banter going on, but then when it needs to be quiet, it's quiet. Always a good right. thing to have in comedy. Uh, so then surprise, surprise Kumail's tip. Leads the doctors to realize that uh, she has adult onset stills disease, which is very bad, but also, once you know what it is, very treatable. So, Emily wakes up from her coma, and the parents are there, and everyone is happy. Camille enters the hospital room, and they all live happily ever after. The end. So, what did you think? <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Kumail goes to the hospital room and Emily is pretty much like, yeah, I was asleep for all this super romantic stuff you did, so I'm still mad at you, get out. And then Kumail has to kind of go and do the, uh, oh, we got some Hugh Grant
0: references in there, right?
1: Uh, the, oh, yeah, the Hugh Grant showed, haircut. He showed uh, haircut.
0: his uh, floppy hair, his floppy Hugh Grant hair. Yeah.
1: And the, the not smiling. Cause it makes you look fat. So he doesn't smile. Very Hugh Granty. Um, But he does his Hugh Grant groveling. And then this is where the movie does kind of get into Judd Apatow. Every Judd Apatow feels just a tiny bit too long for me. She uh-huh. still refuses him. Uh, oh, by the way, the family now knows that he has been, quote-unquote, seeing a white lady, so the family completely disowns him. Uh, Kumail goes to do a better version of his one-man show, which his his original one-man show... He took Emily's show, notes!
0: Yeah, he Emily's did! Emily's note was make it personal, but and he his, followed it.
1: His original one-man show is it's one of those perfect examples of a good actor acting really great at acting bad. Uh, It's so funny. Um, But yeah, so she shows up and his brother there is kind of like incognito, like, Hey, don't tell anyone that I'm here. And so then they have a heartfelt, like, I think we are meant to be together, but oops, he's moving to New York. So then they go to New York. The father drops off some of his favorite food, but the mom is still mad. And so it's very like, oof,
0: you know, oh, but what about the scene before where he – it was basically based on his conversation with Emily's mom about how she and her dad got over her family's opposition to him, a lot of awkward family dinners. He comes to family dinner and he says, I'm not leaving this family
1: yeah that is another very well written scene it's very heartfelt and it's funny because he's got the little cards but even the cards have that funny heartfelt kind of thing like it's a great scene i think judd apatow is probably one of the smartest people in comedy because you can definitely feel his presence in the movie in the way that he has this like Not only does he write and direct his own movies, but he produces these movies that all have the same Apatow type vibe to them. And like, I think Apatow is very, very, very smart. And I think he probably gave a lot of great notes when it came when it comes to this movie. But I'm just, you know, comedy is a very fickle mistress and Apatow just isn't quite my dish. You know what I mean?
0: I just don't like, I mean, again, maybe this is just me being sexist, but I don't really like male centric rom coms. Uh, I I like to see myself as the hero. Yeah, I
1: think this is definitely a good male centric rom com. I think the, the female characters have a good, like they weren't obviously written by men kind of feel well, to them. Don't
0: real. I do wish you know because Emily spends so much of the film comatose you don't really get to see what a cool person she is. Um, I, think,
1: I think in the condensed amount of time that they have with her they do a really good job showing she is mm-hmm. a really cool person and very likable and you could tell why Camille would kind of want to hang around even though they're broken up because it's like if I had just broken up with a girlfriend and then she went into the hospital with a coma and I was one of the only people in the city that had time to be around her, I probably would have done the same thing, which is like, you know, like, yeah, this is a cool, I just don't want anything bad to happen to this person. But then, you know, there is kind of that element that I do get what it was going for at the end of the movie, which is like, I'm this fantasy in your mind, whereas you're still a real human being in my mind, and those aren't really compatible, and I don't know if I can go through the the heartbreak again if that's what's going to happen. So I, I get what the movie's going for, but at the same time, when he shows up for some groveling, I'm also like, mm, if this was the end of the movie,
0: all right. <laughs> So what did you think of the end of the movie?
1: I thought the end of the movie was so dumb when she shows up to New York and they have that banter like, oh, this is the banter we had when we first met. I thought it was so dumb. But also. I mean, come on, this is based on a true story. I don't know if that specific moment is based on a true story, but like. You got to sell the incredible craziness of. What's the chances of this happening to a stand-up comedian and his really cool wife, and then them working on a screenplay together to turn it into a legit good movie? Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, if they if they have any little kind of silly rom-com, uh, this is kind of more by the books flair. This is sort of an easy joke, easy gimmick. Yeah, I'm gonna give them the easy gimmick because the rest of the movie was really good.
0: Why not add just a little bit of fantasy? Yeah, why not?
1: And they show the pictures at the end. Very smart move. Uh, yeah.
0: I, I love that. I it made the ending, you know, satisfying because I, usually an ambiguous ending where it's like, oh, they meet again. What's going to happen this time? Uh, if this if this weren't based on a real story, then it might aggravate me to get an ending like that where it's, you know, happily ever maybe. Um, but knowing that it's a real story and the couple's still married, you can, you know, you can rest assured that this is the beginning of the rest of their lives together.
1: Yeah, um, it's... Uh, this movie is a lot more factually based than Mothman prophecies. Uh, but I think you know what I think both movies have to keep in mind is that it's it's like the end of Argo. Did you see Argo? No. Argo, fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's one of the lines in the movie. Argo, fuck yourself. It's like one of the really? little rallying cries. Oh yeah, because the movie is Argo, and go fuck yourself. It's great. John John Goodman says it. Um, so at the end of Argo, they have to get the 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 people out of the country, and they have to smuggle them out. And the smuggling scene where they get them on the plane and smuggle them out of the country. In real life, that happened rather uneventfully, right? Like it just kind of, you know, they're CIA spies, the the Ben Affleck type character is, right? So he does his spy work and he's got his spy craft and he's really good at it. And he smuggles the people out of the, the country. But in the movie there's some more last minute tension where there's like a runway chase and there's some shots being fired. And there's this last minute thing at the uh, airport where it's like this last minute grilling and what's going to happen. Like there's all this stuff that ramps up the tension and you have to realize that, yeah, they could have done it the real way, which is the people show up at the airport, they go through security, they get on the plane, they leave, nothing happens. But the, the tension that those people must've felt in that moment how can you convey that in a cinematic crowd-pleasing way other than, oh, we got to have a last-minute chase, you know? And so for Mothman, how do you properly convey this weird story of all these people having these vague, obscure sightings of this creature with red eyes, and how do you turn that into a legit movie where it feels like supernatural like destiny coming upon this character Uh you, you exaggerate you go over the top and so a lot of stuff that happened in Big Sick is probably not exactly factual but I think they do a really good job of like you can tell it's based on a true story because they say write what you know well those characters know drama and conflict and love and relationships and so you know they they know that, so they have to convey that to people. Um, yeah, I think this movie does a little bit of a better job at it than Mothman. <laughs> but
0: yeah, I mean when you're comparing <laughs> these two movies to each other, and the only conversation in which the comparison between Mothman and the Big Stick is going to be made, we've we've really cornered that market. <laughs> Well,
1: actually, you could also compare them because Laura Linney, Holly Hunter, they kind of look alike.
0: They they do, but, you know, I feel like Laura Linney and Zoe Kazan look alike, too. I feel like they looked like her parents, which I thought was was really great. Uh, and uh, there were just so many great little touches. I love the scene where she tells him not to call her again. And then he immediately calls her and he says, it's cold outside and she lets him in. Um, or when he takes her parents back to her place. And then he goes into her bedroom and hides her pot because he doesn't want her parents to see that she smokes pot. Like I thought that was really cute. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of great little touches like that throughout the movie where it's just, you know, it's again, if you want to be universal, you have to be specific. And this movie this movie is good because it really nails those details of what it's like to care for someone and what it's like to be hurt by someone. Uh, yeah.
0: How did you like, uh, seeing friend of the podcast, Dr. Fibes make an appearance in this movie?
1: Oh man. Anytime. I think, it makes sense because how I found out about Dr. Fibes was from some podcast Pat Oswalt was on. And Pat Oswalt was talking about this crazy movie, Dr. Fibes. And then when I saw it at a theater in Chicago, I was like, oh, shit, this is that movie Pat Oswalt was talking about. Um, and so it makes sense if Kumail was in the Chicago comedy scene. Yeah, I imagine... Dr. Fibes is one of those movies that gets passed around among comedians is like, holy shit, this movie is insane. You have to watch it.
0: You don't think that uh, he discovered Dr. Fibes pre-comedy because he's a nerd?
1: Uh, could be. Definitely could be. Uh, but I, I like to imagine because I know it's got that Patton Oswalt connection for me. I like to mm-hmm. imagine that just a bunch of comedians would hang out and watch this movie and go like, you can't even do a mystery science theater, 3000 riff tracks on that movie. It's already so insane. All you can do is just sit back in awe of
0: Vincent. Nine (laughs) times nine. (laughs) So great, man. (laughs) Nine lives. The Uh, one you took. (laughs) Uh, never miss an opportunity to bring Fibes into the mix. So, gotta ask the question, who you want to kill from this movie?
1: Oh, that is a good question. Um I don't know. Like, you know, I mean, I kind of want to kill, you know, you kind of want to kill the mom. Because you're like... <gasps> Holly Hunter? No, the... Oh,
0: Camille's mom.
1: Camille's mom. Because you're like, don't, you know, like... Just, it's, he's your son, but you don't want to kill her because you understand her point of view. Yeah. I mean, you kind of want to kill the douche frat guy, right? But that's too obvious. So I don't know. Maybe maybe Bo Burnham, he was kind of a dick in the movie. Uh, <laughs> he he kind of was that perfect... I think Bo Burnham is, is probably known for being a nice guy, right? I, I think so. He's got I a reputation be as being a pretty likable, nice guy. So the fact that he can play kind of a jerk is uh is kudos. That's always fun to watch. But yeah, he kind of had that perfect sleaze ball comedian like I'm out for me. Best of luck to you, but not really because I know I'm better than you anyway. You know, when he tells that one guy just give up on comedy, save us all the trouble. You're like, you know, he's being silly, but you also know he's like, no, I'm serious. Like I don't like you. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I have to agree with you. If not the racist heckler, uh, then Bo Burnham, but specifically because he doesn't wait until the comedians are finished to go talk to the Montreal guy. Yeah. He does it during Kamel's set, which, so rude, you could have waited until everyone was finished to talk to him so that he can see everyone performing, and now you've monopolized his attention when there's somebody else in your circle who wants to try out for this festival, that's bullshit.
1: Yeah. And he's like this suck up kind of like liaison. Like the the agent guy doesn't even speak for himself half the time. He just, you know, Bo Burnham's always coming up like, Hey, I'm good like I can communicate to this guy because I already have it in with him. So if you want to get to this guy, you kinda got to impress me.
0: And it's eh. he's
1: such a freaking dick bag, but Again, Which like
0: is apparently not like Bo Burnham and Right, real life.
1: kudos to Bo Burnham. It's always it's probably a lot of fun for him to play that part.
0: Yeah, it is. So I'm curious. Uh, you, I think you were saying that immediately, you had an idea for how you wanted to turn this very real love story into a horror story.
1: Yeah. So uh, a bunch of stuff happened uh not like happened but i I absorbed a bunch of stuff recently right so I'll, i'll name drop some of it in the um in the love bites but um basically i know that kumail is pakistani and i know that pakistani isn't india but I'm going to set my movie in the Wild West and I'm going to use Indians uh, as in Native Americans or indigenous people. And I'm only going to use that because I don't know what life is like over there. So I don't have any reference to it. So I'm just going to use that as like, I don't know, it's it's not white people. Um but basically, I'm going to have two, two tribes, right? And we have this super strict, almost like spiritual deadly tribe that's protecting their sacred grounds. And then we have another tribe, right? And we start the movie on a train, and the daughter of the, the, this one elder couple at the one more, like, outgoing tribe, her father is sick. And so she had to go study medicine in the city and then come back so she could treat him. And so she's she she has all this knowledge but she doesn't have time to go around the very dangerous sacred ground tribe. She's got to go through their land. So in going through their land, she gets attacked, but she's not attacked by the tribe. She's attacked by basically by bounty hunters who are just like you know, they're out to scalp the Indians, uh, you know, the Redskins. And so they're very disgusting, racist bounty hunter people. And they start to attack her and it gets really gritty and they're like going to kill her and it's really bad. And then they like actually do give her a mortal wound, but then they all get taken out and they get taken out by one of the sacred tribe members. Right. So it's like, whoa, whoa. So then the sacred tribe member comes up and he's basically tells this lady, Hey, you trespass on sacred ground. I'm one of the four guardians, right? So they got the North, East, South and West. He's like, I'm one of the four guardians. It's my duty. I, I got to kill you. And she's like, okay, but my father is dying and I'm the only person who can save him. And so she's dying and he's like, I'm sorry, that sucks, but there's nothing I can do about it. And she's like, well, there is something you can do about it. I have the cure with me. And he's like, all right, so what do you want me to do? Deliver the cure to your dead father? And it's kind of like maybe we can have this really touching bound by like a dying person's last wish kind of thing, like a very heartfelt moment where he's like, I got to kill you. And she's like, listen, I'm already dead. I can, can you? I need so. I don't need you to kill me. I need you to walk me through death. Tell me everything's gonna be okay. If you ever saw The Gray with Liam Neeson, that movie's got a lot of great death scenes because, like, Liam Neeson's got to walk people through the process of dying, and it's fucking grisly. That movie is harsh. Um, and so basically, the guy's like, "All right, fine. What, what are we talking about here?" And she's got like. The, the chem she's got the formula tattooed on her for the recipe to save him. Cause it's like a mixture of modern, like quote unquote modern medicine and old medicine. And so she's got the the recipe kind of, or the formula or the, the whatever she's got it tattooed on her body. So he's got to bring her dead body through the sacred land to the older tribe And along the way, we have a very revenant.
0: Why wouldn't he just take her skin and tan it? Because. Because that's because it's like it's her
1: body. It's sacred, you know, like it's all about tradition and sacredness. And He doesn't just want to show up and be like, hey, you're the dad of this lady. All right. She 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 fought for you and she she got this medicine for you. Here's a pile of her skin. You know, like that's kind of weird, but at the end of the movie, maybe that's going to be something he has to resort to, you know what I'm saying? So it's just some of the Revenant-y kind of trials along the way. You know, maybe there can be like a bear or wolf attack. You know, we got those killer wolves coming out, you know, based on a true story, killer wolves, even though they're in Europe. uh, Maybe like a river, he's got to cross a river doing that in Wild West times. was very dangerous. Maybe insects, right? When he goes to sleep on the ground, insects like to eat dead things. And if they get on her skin and start eating her skin, that's going to take away from the tattoos. So like insects become a problem. Uh, Maybe there's poacher. I I think this cool poacher type thing of like a bounty hunter scene where they run into a scientist and he's like,
0: Oh, you're
1: a, you're a scientist. So you got to be a good guy, right? But this guy isn't a real scientist. He's a fake scientist. And what he does is he sells corpses to real doctors for money, cause these doctors need watchers to practice on, right? So he's like a gravedigger/slash opportunistic vulture guy who's like, Hey, you got a dead body? I'm gonna take that dead body. What? And so they have a fight and he's gotta kill them. And then ultimately he's gotta fight off against the tribe. And maybe, you know, like his his elder tribeman is like, Listen, I totally get what you're going for, but that northern guardian you gotta pass through, whoo he is he is neck deep in tradition and there's no way he's going to let you drag a body through there. So yada, yada, yada. He's got to fight the North Guardian. At the end of the day, the body is destroyed, but he ends up, you know, skinning that part of the body that he needs so that he can take it to her family. And then I don't know what the ending of the movie is going to be. Either we go with the happy ending where he delivers the skin to the dad and he's like, hey, uh, here's your cure. Or maybe he gets to the tribe and they're already wiped out. Or maybe he gets there and it's already too late for just a dad. I mean, the ending is up in the air. If you want to kind of go bittersweet, if you want to go total nihilistic, totally up to you.
0: I would do like a searcher's ending where he right. delivers the goods and then he leaves and he's he's not allowed inside. He's yeah, a man kind of on like, the range.
1: It's kind of like a happy ending, but it's also like... But at what cost?
0: So, Brad. Yeah. I listened to this pitch of yours, and I have to say, why? Why did you criticize me? Why? For, why? Uh, uh, have, what's
1: his name? Neil Hamburger, right? Why?
0: Why? <laughs> why? But... So I turned the Mothman into a sexy blue alien. And admittedly, yes, I too changed the race of a character, but you completely, you changed, uh, I mean, and to be fair to you, India and Pakistan used to be the same country, but then there was um, a a schism and uh, separate countries were created um, from the continent and, uh, but you changed it from a Pakistani man to native American tribes in the wild. Where's the big sick? Where's first, the big sick? First, I already addressed
1: that issue because
0: I don't know. Like it's, it's why can't I, can't, I have my sexy blue aliens? I can't say, I don't know the, tri-
1: I I can make a very cliche version of like, yeah, when I say Native American tribes, you get what I mean, because some of them are super duper into their traditions and they don't want you on their sacred land. And some of them are like, shit, now we got to deal with all these people coming on to our land. Like, And I can give you kind of like the, the vibe of the Wild West. I have no idea what what Pakistani culture was like in the wild West quote unquote date. So I have no reference. If I had a reference, I would have made it that.
0: I don't think there were as many Pakistani people in America during that time. Right. I mean, if you can rewrite the immigration was hard, (laughs) if you can
1: change it from two opposite tribes to Sikhs and Muslims, and they're instead of dealing with, with wild west people coming onto their land. They're dealing with British conquering people coming onto the, like whatever you got to do to make it from native American to Pakistani by all means do it because <laughs> I am not pursuing this movie.
0: <laughs> I, I like the whole idea of this kind of almost bring me the head of Al- Alfredo Garcia type yeah. of plot where you you know, he, yeah. he's a lone warrior traveling yeah. with the MacGuffin. I grew up with wild West movies.
1: And so I wanted to make it a wild Westy movie and this movie big sick to I'm I totally justify all of my decisions. So I, I know that that you are questioning this and you think I'm, I'm stretching it a bit, but the big sick is about someone who ha- who is the big sick is about two people one of whom is incapacitated and they have to form a bond together. And at the end of the movie, they, they form a good bond. But in my movie, at the beginning of the movie, they are on opposite sides and they form a bond together, but then there is death and the rest of the movie becomes a reflection on that loss. So if the big sick is about, two people learning about how great it is to be together and then they're broken apart and then they have to come back to learn about what it is like to be great together. This movie is about death and then the characters are apart and then the closer they are brought together, the more they are brought apart. It's like, instead of being together at the end, they're separated at the end. It's,
0: Okay. Okay, I buy it. I
1: buy it. Yeah, it's very. um, I don't. It's just gonna. It's very. It's gonna be a very Nicholas Winding Refn tone piece on death, where these characters have these, you know, philosophical musings, and like most of it is silent. Most of it is apocalypto, where it's like characters aren't. They don't need to speak to each other. It's very uh, Valhalla rising, you know, just. A lot of grim death, you know.
0: Sounds like a Brett movie. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: well. That's the kind of movie I like, but I could probably never make because if I were to make this movie, all of a sudden we would have like the guardians would embody animals, and then they'd use animal kung fu. Oof! <laughs> Why
0: not? Why not? Why <laughs> not? Uh,
1: so, how about you? I'm sure you didn't go from coma to just straight up death. uh. Uh,
0: No. So I was inspired by a movie that I'd heard about and is on my list of movies I want to see, but I haven't seen it yet. It's a a horror movie from the late 70s called Patrick, about a man in a coma that controls things with his mind. So I took that as my cue and created this story. And I called it uh, Oh, by the way, what was the name of your movie?
1: Oh, I was just going to go with um, The Big Death.
0: The Big Death? All right.
1: Which sounds like a Western-y kind of exploitation flick.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I decided to call mine, You Make Me Sick. Oh, yeah. Uh, And so Kumail... A Pakistani man is a male nurse in a psychiatric facility by day and a stand-up comic by night. Now, why he would decide to get a nursing degree and not i go all the way to doctor. That's, maybe he'll explain that in the movie. Um, but one day he's making the rounds when he notices two orderlies go into a comatose patient's room. He follows and he observes that they're about to molest the sleeping woman. And then he stops them and gets the orderlies fired. The patient, Emily has been under a medically induced coma for months, but her chart is missing. So Camille does not know why she is there. Later that night, the orderlies are walking down the street when a couple loose bricks appear to fly off the roof of a building and crush the two men's skulls instantly. Uh, Then Kamail, he begins visiting Emily every day to talk to her. And as he's telling Emily about the X-Files, he thinks of a joke And begins writing it in his notebook. And then suddenly a force seems to take over his pencil and he writes, thank you for saving me, Emily. Uh, And then they begin communicating telekinetically via the notebook. So then Kumail heads to the comedy club one night. uh, And he's in a great mood, even though he has a really bad time slot. Uh, Meanwhile, the headlining comic uh, can be Bo Burnham in this case, Mm -hmm. He's, he's going to take a piss and then he goes into the restroom and he hears a toilet repeatedly flushing in the last stall, but no one is in it. So he opens the stall and then as soon as he does that, the stall door swings, knocks him out. Uh, And he hits the side of the toilet and is basically out cold. So when Camille gets to the club, he finds out that he's been given a better slot because the other comic was injured. Whoa. Now, after the show, Camille flirts with a girl and takes her back to his place, but then bizarre things start happening. You know, glasses are getting pushed off tables and shattering. His air mattress is flat with a giant tear in it. The girl leaves and then Camille uh, he suspects that Emily might be involved. So he writes in his notebook, are you doing this? And Emily writes back in his hand, you overwhelm me. Uh, So then the next day, Camille tries to tell Emily's doctor what's going on, but then the doctors don't believe him. uh, And the doctor Does notice or does tell him that he's noticed how much attention Camille has paid to Emily and that it's really not warranted beyond the professional reasons. However, because of HIPAA, the doctor can only make insinuations and encourage Camille to look up Emily's parents. So Camille does some movie Googling, you know, it's that scene of the movie where we're entering things in search engines. And then the story comes up. Turns out that Emily violently murdered her parents uh, and then went into a catatonic state and then the hospital put her in a coma to study her, no. uh, something like that. <laughs> uh, so then as Camille is being rocked by the revelations of Emily's killer nature, the search bar fills with the words, do I overwhelm you? Question mark. Ooh. And then meanwhile, at the hospital, Emily's doctor has decided to kill Emily before more people learn the truth about her powers. Uh, And he says something like, I've let this go on long enough, my dear, for the sake of science exploration. Um, But when he's about to lethally inject Emily, she uses her powers to make him turn the needle on himself. Uh, so then Camille gets a voicemail from the head nurse urging him to come to the hospital immediately. And then when he does, he's knocked out cold by an unknown assailant. He then wakes up in Emily's hospital room and then realizes that he's in the middle of a makeshift wedding ceremony. And the nurse who's been possessed by Emily is officiating. Uh, and then when it's time for Camille to say, I do, he tries to resist Emily's powers. He tells Emily he knows about her murdering her parents. Uh, he says he doesn't want this. Emily makes the nurse attack him and they fight. Camille knocks the nurse out and then prepares to again inject Emily himself Uh, but she's trying to use her powers to make him turn the syringe on himself. He fights for control. And then finally he is able to uh, put the syringe in her arms. And then at that precise moment, her eyes open and she sits up in bed and he's thrown back and knocked out. Uh, And when he wakes up with the paramedics and police checking over him, he learns that Emily has disappeared. Set up for the sequel, You Make Me Sick too. I Want to Vomit. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, we got to throw in some good vomit gags, right? Because Exorcist, Sam Raimi.
0: But, I mean, you could, you know, kind of like I Know What You Did Last Summer, you could make a whole You Make Me Sick franchise and and just, you know, yeah, You Make Me Sick too. I Want to Vomit, You Make Me Sick 3, I'm going to die. I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I could definitely see this turning into a franchise. Uh, I, Emily's
0: the new Annabelle.
1: I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, very interesting. We both had two very different takes <laughs> on it. Um, but yeah, I I like it.
0: Nice. Yeah, I again, unlike you, I felt really weird about taking this really sweet love story and then turning one of these people into a telekinetic serial killer.
1: Oh, no, I didn't even because I didn't even think about Kumail and Emily when I wrote it. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to kill someone and it's going to be about death. uh, The end.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, should we do some housekeeping before we get into our love bites?
1: Yes, I think we should.
0: All right. Well, you can find us on Instagram at the Necromancer Podcast,
1: Uh, Facebook, and Twitter is the Necromancer
0: Pod. Uh, And then necromancerpodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us questions, feedback, rants, uh, and of course, like and subscribe to us on wherever you listen to podcasts. If you leave us a review, you might even get a shout out. In fact, you'll definitely get a shout out.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) All right. So, what's your uh, you you teased that you had some good recommendations today. What what have you been watching?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to follow up on two of my other recommendations super quick. And that mm-hmm. is one of them was Into the Breach, which is a strategy-based game where you play these giant mechs versus these giant alien type kaiju monsters and it's like chess with these little things and it's very complicated and I kind of bounced off of it when I first played it. But then going back to it, something about it just clicked. Whew, I am obsessed with this game. It's so freaking good. Uh, it's very slow-paced. So Into the Breach, I recommended it one time. I was kind of lukewarm on it, but I still recommended it. But now I'm like, oh, I, I, I am having it head first. Man. The other one is... Um, Enter the Gungeon, which was like a shooter-type top-down shooter game that I mentioned, and I said the game is super hard, and I don't think I will ever beat it. I am glad to report that on try number 517, I beat the game. So, aha, never give up on your dreams. You can do it, all that motivational stuff. Uh, I've beaten it a few times since, but yeah, I genuinely thought I was never going to beat the game. But I love it so much, I kept playing it, and I did it. Uh, As far as Love Bites go, I'm gonna do two. One is super quick, I don't need to mention it any more than just name dropping it. Hamilton, holy cow, I watched it, it's great. Watch it, have you seen it?
0: I haven't seen it. I mean, now that it's on uh, a streaming platform, maybe I will.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't know anything about it. I purposefully kind of stayed, you know, entered pop culture. I purposely mm-hmm. kind of stayed away from it cause I was like, eh, it's a Broadway musical. The only way to experience it is via musical. So the televised thing is the closest thing I'm going to get and I'm never going to be able to see it otherwise. So yeah, I'll watch the televised uh, showing of it and holy cow, it's freaking great. It's really good. Uh, so i I'll aboard that Hamilton hype train, choo choo. The other one is uh, I just mentioned some games that I played in the past. I'm going to mention a card game, which is called Flux. Have you ever heard of
0: Flux? We've played it together. We played oh, we Batman. Played the Batman one? I keep forgetting
1: yeah. that we played it, but it's freaking great. So regular Flux is just like like milk and cookies and like a bed and a clock, and it's just generic stuff. So they have different versions. I have Batman Flux. I've played sci-fi Flux, which is like Star Wars and Star Trek combined. I've played Cartoon Network Flux. But Flux is super easy. There is one rule in the entire game, and that rule is draw one, play one. And that's it, that's the only rule you need to know. However, you've got these keepers, you've got these goals, the goals are constantly changing because every time you play one, you play a keeper, you play a goal, you play an action, all this crazy stuff is going on. And then you also have other cards that are rules. So you can play a card that says like, draw two. So now the rules are draw two, play one. You can do a rule that says like, you can discard your hand to draw three cards and then your turns over. There's so many rules. There's so many goals. There's so many keepers. There's so many things you can do in this game. And the best part about it is you cannot strategize at all in the game. Like there's little bits of strategies that, that you kind of develop, but essentially you can't strategize at all because every single turn is just completely, who knows what's going to happen? Because the rules change it every time. The goals change all the time. The whole game is constantly in flux. And so, if you like card games, if, you, right. if you're in quarantine and you're stuck with someone, it's a great two-player game. It's crazy if you get three or more people to play because every turn you're like, "Oh, I'm going to do this," and then someone does something, you're like, oh, "I can't do that anymore." So you just kind of you sit back and you enjoy the chaos. I just, I, I love. It's losing in this game is like losing in Smash Brothers. You know, it's like you just have fun. It's impossible to 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 not have fun, whether you're winning or losing. The game is just totally batshit crazy, uh, but it's super simple. Draw one, play one, very easy, very complicated. So that's nice. my recommendation. It's very nice, Flux, F-L-U-X-X. Uh, I would recommend any of the spicier versions, Zombie Flux or whatever. Um, yeah, how about you?
0: So I realized as we hit record that I never went and looked up movies based on real stories that I like to recommend. So I don't have a love bite this episode that is related to the theme because I just forgot about that. But... I messaged you about a movie earlier this week that I watched and I loved called An Evening with Beverly Luff. Lynn Lynn is two words, and it's a movie directed and written by Jim Hosking, who wrote and directed a movie called The Greasy Strangler. And earlier in this episode, I mentioned how a divisive movie, it makes me want to see it more than a movie liked by everyone. And Brett, you talk all the time about movies where the question comes up who the hell is this movie for? And I think that that's a question that comes up for people with Jim Hosking, and I can answer unequivocally, these movies are for me. Uh, I, I like broad humor, I laugh at a lot of things, but one of the things that really tickles my funny bone more than anything else is just sheer absurdity. Uh, so I, I happen to love Tim and Eric. I, I like Eric Andre. I, I like things that that push the boundaries of polite society and verge into the territory of the disgusting, absurd, and weird. And that is where Jim Hosking has set up real estate. Uh, so An Evening with Beverly Loefflin... Uh, If you like really weird movies, if you saw the Tim and Eric billion dollar movie and you thought it was amazing, then give this movie a try, because I think that it is hilarious. Uh, But then again, I was the only person in the theater laughing out loud when I saw The Greasy Strangler. So uh, I could be in a league of my own in being a big fan of Jim Hosking.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll have to check it out because I mean, me and my buddy were probably two of the only four people in the theater when billion dollar movie came out. So uh, I I like Tim and Eric a lot. So if they're t- if if this guy's Tim and Eric adjacent, uh, I don't know. You know, like I said, I love. I, I think Apatow is great, but it's just, there's something about this is it. is
0: the exact opposite of that.
1: I know, but it's like, I really like Tim and Eric, but I don't know if I'm going to like, because I don't like Eric Andre. So it's, you know, ugh. I've I never mean, seen Gracie Strangler, never seen this movie.
0: This is really one of those movies where either you are going to love this movie and cut up or you're going to think it's the most unfunny, crass and stupid movie you've ever seen, which, again, that's that's the kind of movie I love divisive.
1: No, I hear you. I'll I'll sit down and give one of them a shot. I'll report back to our necromancer crew.
0: Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, I guess these true tales have ended. Until next time.